there are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio Studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Well, good morning to you. Welcome to the show, a show about money. We're here to help you become wealthier and more financially independent and help you educate your kids, help you educate uh, everyone around you when it comes to and everything with money. Money does matter, my good friends. Uh, grab yourself a coffee, get yourself set for an action pack show. Uh, we're going to be talking about energy and we're also going to be talking about uh, food trends uh, on this episode of Hi-Fi Radio. Jack Hartle, of course, along for the show ride. Uh, right now, we have on the line uh, Jennifer Stevenson. Uh, she is with Dynamic Funds. Uh, she is a uh, manager of commodity money and energy money. So she runs the Dynamic Energy Fund. There's also a Dynamic Energy Income Fund, I believe, and also a resource fund that she co-manages. So uh, Stuff in the Ground is her ballywick. I appreciate you spending some time with us, uh, Jennifer, uh, on Hi-Fi Radio. Happy to talk with you, Wolfgang. So, uh, Jennifer, uh, Jack and I used to do a lot of business with um, Rafi uh, from Canoe. Um, mm-hmm. It was a tough ride, and we basically capitulated and threw in the towel and said, don't, don't, don't need to own uh, too much oil. We, we're very underweight oil. We're underweight commodities, uh, Jack. I, I say we, we like Rafi. Just the sector has been so out of favor, <laughs> so unloved. And at some point, you do have to cut your loss and look for better opportunities. But um, that being said, the energy sector is cheap. It's out of favor, so there is potentially opportunity there. But there's also, we, we see names heading towards bankruptcy, Jack. We, Absolutely. I don't want to mention which name, but the name is just a terrible, terrible trend. Uh, the only name I'm comfortable holding in Canada, Jennifer, honestly, is Suncor. Uh, we own mm-hmm. Enterplus, which actually has good fundamentals, but uh, the market doesn't really care about the fundamentals. So at least with Suncor, I got a dividend, I got a reasonable valuation. Don't forget, they also own Petro Canada retail stores, so hopefully they can do a little couche tard magic on that on those retail And we, uh, we always talk about energy, right? It, it is cyclical, and uh, the Canadian space is not only is it cyclical right now; they also face political headwinds uh, with the fact that we can't get our oil. Uh, we get it out of the ground, but we just can't get it to market. So why don't we start with that then? Let's start with Canada. A, eh? uh, we pr- we produce in Canada about four million barrels of that crude stuff each and every day. I said four million barrels a day produced in Canada. However. Uh, and Jennifer, you're going to know this number better than I. Uh, bottlenecked inside the country, about 500,000 barrels per day can't leave the country via pipe. Is that about the math? Yeah, it, depending on how you want to calculate it, you can get anywhere from, say, 250 to four or 500,000 barrels a day that's, that's not got firm service transportation on pipe to get out of the western provinces. Does that include the production cut that we saw last year with the Alberta government when they actually cut production because the differentials were so wide? No, the production cut would make that number smaller. Okay. So where does this leave us? Um, you know, Jack was Jack and I were just going through the uh, pipelines on the table, uh, the pipe dreams perhaps on the table. I don't know. Uh, and let's, let's go through they, those. They are dreams for some Canadians because it actually gets our energy to market at a fair price. And the, the fact that we're um, subsidizing some of these U.S. refiners, I, I think to the tune of last year, I saw some numbers, $13 billion for the first 10 months of 2018 we transferred wealth to the uh, to the u.s but for the fact that we were giving them such a good price on our oil but i don't think canadians really appreciate that and maybe jennifer you want to explain that to our audience the, the notion that we're subsidizing uh the american consumer with our cheap oil why 
How? Yeah. So, so two things going on there. So, so, so you and I and and your listeners, we don't use oil. <clears throat> pardon me. We use things that refineries make from us. So we use gasoline or diesel that is refined from a barrel of oil. So. We need to have that oil processed, and a lot of the oil that we produce in Western Canada is what we call heavy oil. So if you think about what that looks like, it looks a little bit more like molasses than gasoline. Mm -hmm. So that takes more refining power, and because it takes more refining power, that product sells for cheaper correct which is fair okay so that's all fine so we're all we're going to sell for a bit cheaper no problem and the refineries have invested all this capital to have the power to make that heavier oil into these products like gasoline and diesel that we need Mm -hmm. so when people say oil sells for less in canada well part of it is it's a lower quality Mm -hmm. okay fine it goes to the u.s gulf coast those refineries are perfectly set up to make it into the really great products we need the gasoline and the diesel and the second reason it sells for a bit less is because we have to get it from Western Canada to either Texas or the Midwest where the refineries and the customers are. So for those two reasons, it sells for a bit less. And the subsidy you're talking about is because those two numbers together might be 18 or 20 bucks less. So the discount, the discount for the lower quality plus the transporting of it. Correct. But when we blew out those differentials, meaning they went really big, really wide, Correct. they were $40, That's right. They were 40 bucks, yeah. right? Yeah. Exactly. So that difference where, where the, the companies that did not have access to rail or access to pipeline transportation, if they wanted to sell those barrels, they're having to sell at that much of a discount. If you're the refining company, and some of our Canadian Producers have refineries, so they can buy it at that cheap price too. But a lot of those refiners are in the U.S., on the Gulf Coast or in the Midwest. They're getting that low feedstock cost. They're buying our oil for cheaper, and they're still selling that gasoline or that diesel at market prices. So they are making a bigger profit. So let's talk bigger picture here. Uh, And we're going to have to uh, just uh, touch on it now, go to break and get back into it. We are, uh, by the way, on the line with uh, Jennifer Stevenson. Uh, She's a fund manager uh, with Dynamic, uh, running an energy fund and also a um, uh, a base metal uh, commodity fund. Uh, So she understands stuff in the ground really, really well. But I want you to ponder. We'll go to commercial break, get back. Let me ponder this question here, Jennifer, please. With all the trends taking place with electrification, you're seeing a few more solar um, fields. Even here in Ontario, I drive up to the cottage, I see a number of slightly expanded solar fields. I'm seeing uh, also wind uh, farms uh, pop up a little bit more and more uh, here in the province. Uh, How is this going to affect crude? Uh, How can we put a bigger dent in our crude consumption and and move to alternatives? Uh, More with Jennifer Stevenson, uh, fund manager with Dynamic, Jack Hartle, of course, in the studio for the cause here on Hi-Fi Radio 640 in Toronto. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto.
Welcome back to the show. It is Hi-Fi Radio. I am Wolfgang Klein, your host. It's a show about money, and we're talking oil. Uh, we have uh, Jennifer Stevenson on the line. Uh, of course, I gave you a little midnight oil there, Jennifer. Singer of that band was uh, <laughs> Peter, uh, Peter Robert Garrett, and uh, he ended up uh, applying. I think he got the job to be the Minister of Environment for Australia. Uh, so the bushwhacker, of course, had a real big environmental conscience, conscience is the word. Uh, so let's talk then about combustible engines, complex devices, but cheap fuel makes them work. Uh, I just told Jack, uh, 50 liters of diesel, uh, I don't know how clean it is, uh, in my little Volkswagen got me 825 kilometers uh, in the last couple of weeks. Not bad, 825 clicks for 50 liters. That works for me. Um, so... Uh, are we going to pass on the combustible and, and adopt alternatives? And uh, at what rate do you believe, Jennifer? Yeah, the the key thing that, that the politicians don't seem to be considering is just what is involved in, in the arm-waving projections that we're going to be all electric and all renewable in 20 years or by 2030 or, or pick your politician, whatever date they want to do. The The issue is that it's really difficult for renewables to compete with the energy density of hydrocarbon fuels. So if you want to create the electricity and then store the electricity to provide for everybody to run everything on electricity, that takes an unbelievable amount of infrastructure build-out, of transmission line build-out, of changes in habits where you plug your car in. I mean, if you live in a condo downtown, maybe you don't have a parking spot. Where are you going to plug in your car? If you don't drive to work, where are you going to plug in your car? I work in a 56-story office tower. We have four plug-in parking stalls. So the the implementation of it, the costs of that are just not considered in this arm waving, we're going to be green because renewables generate electricity, but they don't store it. Then you need batteries. And that's a whole other issue with energy is the storage of it. And with the hydrocarbon, you get that energy density all in the same molecule. But yeah, no, Jack's got a point on storage, and I got a point on those little terms. I'll start with my point here. When I just came back from a trip to Europe and in Amsterdam, they are very green. And all those uh, canal boats that you can take a little river boat ride on, 50% powered by electricity, and they actually have solar panels on the boats, Jack. It's quite sunny there. They have solar panels that recharge. Really? The, yes, I kid you not. So 50% of the power to those boats is electricity. But um, certainly, if you walked uh, along the canal streets, uh, there are several uh, e-charging stations. I guess they charge you to charge your car, uh, but people that, pull that up, infra- they park I say That infrastructure will get built out over time, but I think what Jennifer is saying is it's just not going to happen overnight. But the, the thing is, I think when the consumer is demanded and is a better technology, it's more efficient. We talked about the uh, internal combustion engine versus the uh, electric vehicles. The, the cost parity is relatively close. It's 2025, according to the white page that we saw uh, from Chip Moore, uh, our analyst, which I think is very significant. But, but now, uh, what about the Gigafactory factory? Okay, so yeah, in, in Jennifer's piece, it's very interesting. So the annual production of the $5 billion Gigafactory, so the amount of batteries they produce yep. in Elon Musk's Gigafactory, uh, they will create enough, or they'll be able to store enough energy for three minutes worth of annual electricity demand in the U.S. <laughs> so three minutes on the grid. The, the, the Gigafactory being created by Elon Musk would yep. have enough storage power for three minutes. The batteries produced in that Gigafactory. Annually. For American consumption. Three minutes. Yeah. 
I so just, it just it just shows you what the challenge is in terms of production and storage. So Jennifer, do you, are you bullish crude? Are you bullish oil still? Do you think oil is still going to be consumed at an ever increasing rate? Like right now, we're consuming over uh, get this, Bashir, hundred million barrels a day uh mm-hmm. correct 100 million That's barrels correct. of oil a day globally being consumed where do you see that number going to you know i see that number continuing to increase because what's pushing that is the low cost compared to alternatives and the desire for increasing population to have an increasing standard of living and it's not to say that every country is going to come up to a North American standard because that's pretty elevated, but you get huge population bases and and think of the countries that you guys talk about, India and China, you get little increases. I mean, if every one of those billion three people in India have an increase in the standard of living that causes them to have another 0.2 barrels a year of oil consumption. That adds up to a lot of barrels. You know, but the other one, in, in the interest of time, because uh, we have my chef from George Brown College in the studio here. Uh, he's got some beautiful food for us to eat. I can't wait to, to dig into that uh, platter that he's brought us. But um, ethanol, uh, food for fuel, um, they, that was starting to really concern me when we were taking corn and making it into fuel that was very, very corrosive for vehicles, motor vehicles. Uh, is ethanol still in the equation? Are we weaning ourselves off that toxic stuff? Yeah, I mean, it's really been used as a, as a subsidy for, for the agriculture sector, and you can't run a vehicle, a hydrocarb, uh, internal combustion engine on, on a fuel mixture that's more than 15% ethanol right? because it dries it out. It does dry it out, but it's a terrible, terrible for my yeah. chainsaw. I would say even the 15% that you <laughs> use of ethanol is significant. It causes so much yeah. damage for vehicles. It does. I talked to my mechanic. He gets up in arms. Well, he, yeah. He, he gets so upset about the fact that the, it's put in our fuel. But you're taking food and turning it into fuel. I don't get it. Um, you know what I also don't get is that a liter of milk is more expensive than a liter of fuel. That I also don't get. Um, well, well, that's the case for the fact that the energy is yeah, so oil cheap. is going to be continued to use for the you know the foreseeable future anyways. Yeah. Uh, well, Jennifer, we're going to have to dig deeper into your product. Uh, I do appreciate you spending time with us on Hi-Fi Radio. Uh, it's also nice to have a female voice uh, trade the energy patch. I, uh, I commend you for that as well because it is a male-dominated space. You're not going to argue with me on that, are you? No, I'm not going to argue with you, but you know what? It's it's full of really high-quality individuals, and I've been in it my whole career, so it's all good. It is all good. Well, it's a real delight to have you on Hi-Fi Radio. Uh, more of the show with my good chef, uh, Bashir from George Brown College. We're going to be talking about food, food sustainability, and trends in food. Uh, yes, beyond money. Right after this. Money. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Love it. Uh, Alabama, Sh- Alabama Shakes. Alabama uh, Shakes. Yep. Alabama Shakes, yes. Uh, first time I heard that song, uh, I was at George Brown College uh, taking Culinary Arts 101. And I said to my chef, not my professor, not my teacher, not my friend, my chef, Chef Bashir. I said, Chef, what are you playing? And he said, Some Alabama Shakes. I said, I'm digging it. And 
I'm already liking you because you got a good taste in some music. Uh, it is Hi-Fi Radio. It is a show about money. Um, and I have my good friend and chef from George Brown College going to join us for the rest of the show. Uh, Jack and I invest some of our money in the food business. We own Nutrient, which is the world's largest fertilizer producer now, formerly um, uh, Potash and Agrium. They merged. Uh, so it is a global company that uh, Canada has very, very few of. Uh, so we are dominant in uh, fertilizing the world. Um, yes, we also own, of course, A&W, uh, who's had a little bit of recent uh, notoriety with their adoption of the Beyond Meat Burger. And uh, I was asking Bashir uh, what he thought about Beyond Meat. And uh, so please only share with me, uh, Chef, and thank you again for joining us in the studio here for this show. We're going to have a lot of fun with you. Um, trends and Beyond Meat, I want you to speak to that. I, I really feel that nowadays uh, with uh, so much demand for alternative uh, meat option, I think that uh, Beyond Meats have made uh, a fantastic product a lot of uh, people are really looking forward to try. Um, my, my small politics behind it was like uh, the vegan option on uh, something that reminds you of something so uh, you know, primitive, wanting to bite in a big juicy piece of meat. So when it comes about alternative option, plant-based forward, I'm all for it, but I don't think it should be promoted or marketed to people who are vegan, whether they're vegan for other ethical religion, ethical beliefs, religious or environmental impact, because I don't want to see uh, something that looks like a piece of meat, and then when you bite into it, it's kind of oozing off blood because it is bits inside of it. Yeah. Uh, but the product is tasty, and I think it is a great option. Now, again, we're going to go a few different directions here with, with, with the show here uh, with Bashir. Uh, number one, uh, we spend about, the average Canadian spends about $12,000 a year on food. Uh, much of that is spent uh, ordering fast food. Uh, I think 35% of Americans eat fast food each and every day. And I got most of my st stats are American, but uh, I'm sure we can just do the old one-tenth of and come up with the Canadian numbers. In other words, in the United States, the food, food sales are $2 trillion dollars. So I guess we'd be due $200, $200 billion here in Canada in food consumption. Uh, organic produce is now $65 billion in sales in America. That doesn't actually sound that big. So let's start with that. Let's speak to organic, organic farming and organic consumption. Is it real? Is it on trend? Is it sustainable? It is definitely. Uh, I don't really see that as a trend per se. I think that is something that has always been there. It's slowly been a demand because people are realizing that uh, food that is not organic has also an impact in our health. Therefore, people are aiming to find something that has a more health impact. Um, I think is it uh, environmentally wrong to also have a lot of uh, um, sprays on top of our food? So not only from environmental impact, but primarily from a health issue. So I think that organic is here to stay. I don't think it's going to go anywhere. The only question is like my own problems and issues in uh, finding what's really organic versus what's branded as organic. That's the question I was going to have is uh, <coughs> consistency in terms of organic products. So what is the standard to qualify something as organic? Because my wife buys a lot of organic stuff. Some some stuff she says you don't need to buy organic. Yeah. Bananas are a good example because they have a big thick skin on them. You peel it off and you don't need it, obviously. Apples uh, and some of the berries out there, that's the stuff that you want to make sure that you buy organic. So how, how do you ensure that you're buying something organic and, and what qualifies something as organic? So... There is a certification in Ontario for organic products, and is there, there are a couple of them across Canada that are from the Canadian Food and Drug Administration that have been certified. 
Um, but as you were saying, there are those ones with a thick skin, bananas, maybe coconut, but those are more tropical fruits who are imported. Mm-hmm. Here in Canada, berries, uh, strawberries, apples, uh, those are heavily pesticides. Although the soil might be organic, they still have to spray in order for them to prevent uh, vegetables from being, uh, or fruits from being eaten by bugs. So there are natural, quote-unquote, fertilizers that a lot of people use, and there are people that use uh, chemical pesticides uh, to minimize the amount of impact that it has on the vegetable per se right. or and, the fruit. And you say like a lot of the stuff that we do uh, consume is imported. Is there an international standard that there is for there organics is, or how, how do you, um, you from, know, qualify uh, that? From uh, the, the problem in the United States from state to states vary, right. but there are also larger umbrella that have a certification as well. The problem that is the farmer who grows vegetables organically and then there is the packer that it might not necessarily practice the same way. So right. therefore our food, when it comes from California, from Florida and so forth, they might have come from an organic farm, but through the packing system- Tracking it of, through the supply chain, the logistics and the cross They will have to cross contaminate it and oh. also they will have to spray in order for us to be able to receive it to the pristine level that we want to. Uh, we are in studio with my chef uh, from George Brown College, Chef Bashir uh, Mounier. Uh, great guy, very knowledgeable man, uh, about to do his master's in uh, environmental studies, followed by a PhD in uh, food equality. Uh, so the, the man's thinking uh, about the common man, and that's what I like about him very, very much. Uh, more with Bashir on Hi-Fi Radio right after this. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to the show, Hi-Fi Radio. Global News Radio 640 in Toronto. I am Wolfgang Klein, Portfolio Manager. If you ever want to take a peek at what Jack and I do for our clients, you can always visit our website at wolfgangkline.com. It's not complicated, wolfgangkline.com. And for those who like to hear things three times, I shall say wolfgangkline.com. You'll find a beautiful, handsome picture of Jacques up there and uh, all kinds of neat little things, uh, television interviews and some facts and figures. I want to go back to the $5 a day. If we can teach our children to save $5 a day, and if we can make them 9% on that money, which isn't easy, but that basically is what the U.S. stock market tends to go up over many, many decades, compounding. Five bucks a day, age 55, that 15-year-old would have amassed just under a half a million dollars. Uh, I say five bucks a day. Where's it going to come from? Hmm? Where's it going to come from? Well, why don't we take something from fast food, learn to cook, at George Brown College with my chef friend Bashir. Uh, And you can save all kinds of money. And I'm going to give you a quick example here. The chef was teaching his class how to make a rack of lamb. Uh, But we weren't just cooking a rack of lamb. No, no, no. We were French braiding it or Frenching it. or Frenching Frenching the lamb. We were Frenching the lamb. Very, very complicated process. You got to get your hands in there. And Brittany the butcher, who's also vegan, knows what I'm talking about. She could have done it for us, by the way. She could have Frenched our lamb for us. But so I, I went to the butcher. Um, and I said, I need a rack of lamb. And I was hoping it was going to be French, but it wasn't. And it was, it was in the raw form. And so fortunately, I went to class. I paid attention to the chef, and he taught me how to use my knife, take all the excess fat off, and do a few other funky things with it. I didn't put the string on it to, to, to string each bone. Very complicated, Jack. But you know how to do the string of the bone there, Brittany? Yeah. See, Brittany knows what we're talking about, yeah. chef. Anyways, I said, all right, Frenched or unfrenched, how much a pound? Frenched, 20 bucks a pound. 
unfrenched, $15 a pound. You got to pay to have that or service. Or do it yourself and save the $5 and invest it so you can accumulate wealth. But without question, Jeff, you know, you've worked in restaurants. And I know this from my friend, Jeff the Chef, who went to George Brown many, many years ago. And he said to me over and over again, restaurant food costs must be below 35% of ticket price, period. 35%. So that meal that's costing you 30 food ingredients, $10. Knowledge is money. Because if you learn to cook yourself, and it does taste better when you learn to cook yourself, and you have a great chef like Chef Bashir from George Brown College. Did I mention where you work, by the way, George Brown College? You're going to get a nice big race. Are you, are you, are you union over there? <laughs> no. No, you, you, you deserve education. a race for this. this, yeah. this you know, you know 6,000 people are listening to you right now? Don't be afraid of that. Okay. There's only 6,000 people are listening to you right now, Bashir. Right, Brittany? That's right. 6,000 people. So anyways, I digress, but it is important <clears throat> to save money, do it yourself, but... For the love of God, food. We need to eat. And you know what? I, I, I was complaining to Jack about this. this. This hockey business, and Jack's getting into hockey. No Sunday 6 o'clock hockey practices, people. No, that's family time. That's food time. I'm so adamant about that. Uh, unless it's Super Bowl. That, Are you talking about at night? I'm talking yeah, Sunday, Sunday night, night dinner. Sunday okay, night dinner. You. Sunday night dinner, 6 Sunday night, or uh, it's 6 o'clock in the morning, hockey practice is fine, as long as it's before church, Wolf. I agree with you. Uh, the church I went to this this uh, uh, winter was the uh, the church of food. I hung around the stovetop. Uh, uh, Bashir was cooking. Uh, you're always brewing these beautiful aromatic teas uh, for the class as well. Uh, what was that one that I liked the most, a really red one? Oh, we made a hibiscus punch, hibiscus tea. Yeah, please go through the hibiscus just to tantalize the appetite of our listeners who are just waking up and looking for some coffee. This hibiscus stuff you make was good. So, wasn't it? Hibiscus uh, is a tropical flower. Uh, it can grow here also in Ontario. And uh, in many cultures, they dehydrated the flower and they brew it like a tea. So you can either steep it or boil it. <clears throat> For our, we had add ginger, cinnamon, cloves, uh, and a bit of brown sugar just to kind of sweeten it a little bit. Uh, you can consume it either warm or you can refrigerate and make it as a cold punch. You notice that Rolling Stones song I teed up, that little brown sugar yes. teed right up into that know. recipe. What do you think of that? Eh? <laughs> that's how I remember the recipes, guys. We're an association with Rock and Roll Stones. Paying attention. Yes, that's, that's, yes. that's another course I'm taking, my memorization course. Yeah. I did something to my memory yes. years ago. Um, Super Bowl facts. Here, This is unbelievable. Super Bowl 2019, that's right, this year's Super Bowl, Jack. Uh, 1.3 billion chicken wings were eaten. 1.3 billion chicken wings. That's a lot of chicken wings. $58 million spent on avocados, 2 million pizza pies. Uh, check this out. 325 million gallons of beer. 325 million gallons of beer. That's a lot of, that's a lot of consumption. That's a lot of consumption. I like that. That's yeah. a lot of chicken wings and beer. Oh, my good good golly. So let's carry on then in terms of, in terms of food. Um, how do you think consumers can save money in terms of their food uh, expenditure, and then put that money aside for a better retirement. Give us a couple of ideas. So the first thing that I would say, actually, there is a different type of a consumers. And there has been a conversation recently about time sustainability. The reality is many people work more than one job. And when they have a family, they Brittany, don't have a, Brittany works too. That's why she's yeah. Brittany the Butcher and also our sound engineer. So yeah. there are a lot of people that have a young families as well and they have a multiple jobs. Oh, so oh Jack, are you moonlighting on me, Jack? I'm a coach, yeah. Yeah, that, that's I, I don't get paid for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jack does this hockey. Guys, he's he's coach of the year for what is it for New Market? Uh, New Market House League. Wolf. Yeah. yeah, don't play it down. I'm well, building what a it is. coach exactly of the. I saw the. It was a beautiful jersey the kid signed. Yeah. <clears throat> you should be proud of that. Uh, anyways, I digress. Yeah, 
So there is basically uh, there is a lack of a time for a lot of families to be able to provide a proper meal to the table. So if you have the opportunity to a learn how to cook, whether you want to buy books, whether you want to go to a school, if you can financially afford it, or if you want to watch just YouTube videos, there are a lot of ways for people to be able to cook food to sustain themselves and financially being able to save money as well. The reality, though, is that many people are losing the tradition on learning how to cook. So that a lot of our families don't really have the means on to, to yeah. cook because of a lack of a knowledge. And at times, there might not be enough time available for them to provide a proper meal to the table in time. That's why there is so much success for Uber, Fedora, and all these other companies. And uh, cheap food is what a lot of people nowadays eat, although cheap food is not good, and good food might not be cheap. And the best thing I find to do, because I do work 70 hours a week, meal prepping is by far going to save you the most amount of money. I cook on Sunday and then I cook again on Wednesday for the week and that's it. So really you only have to cook two or three times a week. Just make a lot at that one time and then you're going to save a ton of money. And that ton of money, Brittany, are you saving it? Yes, I am. And are you investing it yet? Not yet. It's time. <laughs> it's time. It's time. You know the wedding's over. I'm going to come and see you guys. Now. You don't even, you, you see us every week. We're I seeing know, you. No, 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 no. Coming to see us is not a day of the week. We have to make an appointment. We'll make an appointment. With We're going to make an appointment. Uh, more with my good friend, Chef Bashir, uh, professor at George Brown College. Um, you know, it's right in your backyard. If you're, you know, in the GTA and, you know, you want to learn to cook, you know, you can go to the best school in the country right here, right now. It is excellent. You, you'll relax. It's very therapeutic. You will learn some new stuff. Your kids will like what you produce. It, you will save money, and then you can call Jack and I invest. Well, you get to difference. take home the food too, right? Well, you that's get part to, of the it, deal. It's, it's a great deal. Uh, let's pay. Let's pay some uh, commercials. Get right back to Hi-Fi Radio on the Global News Radio Network, six forty in Toronto. Making money is the best. So, how do you make more money? Come on back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, six forty Toronto. Welcome back to the show. It is Hi-Fi Radio. Looking for a few thematic songs on the topic of food uh, with my chef from George Brown College, Chef Bashir, graciously spending some time with us off campus uh, to help educate us a little bit about some of the food trends. I'll tell you, there is a food fact that always disturbs me when I see the number, and that is that $1 trillion of food is lost or wasted every year. A trillion dollars of food. And get this, that, that's enough food uh, to feed 2 billion people, and the world today has about a billion people in poverty. So those who are most impoverished could be, get, could be fed twice uh, with the, all the food we just completely destroy. Uh, Chef, you're uh, not just a professor um, of, of food, but you're also a um, uh, about to do your master's in environmental studies, followed by uh, a PhD in food equality. Uh, I want you to speak to that about the amount of food that we throw in oceans, and part of your thesis as to what you want to communicate to the world, and 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 the organic nature of your thesis. So part, part of my work as a chef, as an instructor, as a professor, primarily is understanding uh, uh, that food, it's a fundamental human right. So when Joe Brown College students uh, they attend school, my objective would be to teach them food, it's their own fundamental human right. Once you understand that, therefore you're starting to think that food 
sovereignty of food governance, it's something that everyone could, should have and been able to apply for their daily life. Once you think about that, then you're starting to think about sustainability, which makes you understand that in a very finite world, we cannot just grow and throw food away. And then it goes back in regards of equity. Does everyone have access to food? And the question is, why can most people afford food? And then there are communities that are in certain amount of financial disparity, they don't have access to food. And there are not even food places for them to be able to buy food. Last night I did a fundraising dinner for uh, CFCC, which is a Canadian food community center. They have about 13 locations across Canada. And the objective was to be able to provide a dignified place for people to eat food, learn how to cook food, and provide them a place of a belonging. So food becomes uh, the ultimate politics. So now some of the studies that I'm doing, it's around, uh, the term is called the social gastronomy. <laughs> and it's an action to call for chefs to be able to take a political responsibility toward food and push a government to act toward a place of equity for everybody else. So that's the frame of mind. So give us an example of that here at home. So here in home there are, I I was given an example, we had this private dinner and uh, even a month ago there was a a new location that opened up and uh, 15 of the best chefs in Toronto, they showed up, they received the funds from uh, the organization to make a meal to do a fundraising dinner to create awareness. And they're all promoting their own social blog. So now there is not only the participation and making meaningful impact, on top of it, there is a creation of awareness. So a lot of the work that I do, there is the awareness which is spoken and is shown. And then there is a literacy component, which you provide information. And then there are policies and reform that can be done. So now, as an example, the Canada Food Guide provided this opportunity for a lot of people to implement a more plant-forward base into the daily diet. So this was the first time that companies uh, did not really have a much of a stake in the decision-making on the Canada Food Guide, which I think is a fantastic way to go with the plant-forward base diet. The only problem, it eliminates over 4 million people across Canada who don't really have access to fresh produce. So last year, actually, the stock market for beef uh, went down 3% 3% mm-hmm. and the cost of a fresh produce went up 5%. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I, I took a look at some food inflation numbers and we're actually very, very fortunate in Canada because food in Canada is, say what you want, it's not that expensive. And food inflation, it may be running above uh, the CPI as a whole, but it's basically you're looking at about 3 to 4% food inflation. But what, what, what Bashir is saying is the good quality food, the, the fresh produce, mm-hmm. uh, the stuff that they put on the Canadian Food Guide now, it is not accessible to a lot of the people out there. And the fact that the protest, processed food, um, it's the cheapest alternative, and it's also the problem is with it is full of stuff that you really don't want to be consuming. What about those berries that we came across? That uh, The company out on the East Coast that produces the wild blueberries. Uh, have you ever heard of that company? I think it produces... The majority of wild blueberries we consume here in Canada, and they are literally grown wild. They're picked and they're flash frozen. That actually is very, very sustainable. That does work. But you're right. When I went to Newfoundland, uh, I could not get fresh produce. You you had a hard time finding nice produce in Newfoundland because it is remote. That's part of the problem of Canada. We are a big, massive land mass. But by golly, when you live in the urban centers now, uh, Vancouver, Toronto, and Montreal, I'm sure included, and, and even Calgary, uh, the variety of food available to us today is remarkable. The question is, how far away did that food come from? And what is the environmental impact of moving that asparagus, that white asparagus, right from South America or Argentina up here to Canada? Yeah. Um, and and that, that is, I think, a, a going to be a continuing 
uh, debate over time. But again, I want you to speak to that. So one of my most influential chefs in Toronto that I've had the pleasure to work with, his name is uh, Jimmy Kennedy. And mm. he's been advocating for local Ontario procurement for the longest period of time. So the choices that himself as a pioneer for the past 20 to 30 years was to ensure that people that can grow and have access to land to grow more Ontario products. Actually, 70% of the world crops, including those white asparagus, are optimum seeds so they can grow here in Ontario. So now in Ontario, we are growing ginger. There is a company called the Canadian Ginger Company. We grow turmeric, we grow eggplant, choy, things they commonly didn't know. Now what happens is because there are a lot of new immigrants moving to Canada all the time, there is a demand for people to have a food that is a culturally appropriate to them on an everyday basis. So the, the goal is like, let's grow more food that it might be culturally diverse here in Ontario. Interesting. So, so Jack, now what about those, those uh, sod farms I used to work at as a teenage boy? Maybe convert some of those sod farms because we're going to get smaller lots, less sod, and maybe produce some ginger. Well, that's one thing that Kate, actually my wife, uh, every time in, we drive through Newmarket, we drive through Nobleton, we see all these farms that used to be farms and now there's their subdivisions. Um, sort of makes her sad, the fact that uh, a lot of this arable land that we have is being you know, consumed in uh, house production. It, it is incredible. Uh, more with my good friend uh, Bashir. He is a chef and a professor at George Brown College, and he's my chef. I am learning and training underneath this very, very wise, talented man when it comes to uh, culinary excellence. Uh, more with Bashir on Hi-Fi Radio right after this. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Yes, a little Booker T for you, Green Onion. Uh, Here's a great quote. As we talk food with my chef. Yes, I have a chef. Wouldn't, who, wouldn't everyone love to have a chef? I have my own chef, folks. Yes, I get them every Saturday morning at George Brown College from 8.30 to 12.30. And I have to move my car because I can't park on Saturday mornings as readily as I can on Sunday mornings. But uh, Jimmy Carter says, my good friends, you go out on a limb because that is where the fruit is. Hey, go out on a limb. That's where the fruit is, Jack. Don't you ever forget that, my friend. Um, we are talking uh, sustainability. We're talking food trends. Um, I've been looking through some trends here on food because trends are very important. Get it right, you can make yourself a lot of money. And a big trend in food is, of course, healthier and apps. I said trend in food apps. It's apps. Apps are important. And I actually, I see it. I see it in our building. And we own the McDonald's stock. And I'm. it's one of those things. I never go to McDonald's. It's too busy. <laughs> yeah, I never go to McDonald's. It's too busy. Um, but people are now pre-ordering uh, their food uh, at McDonald's. We all know. I'm not telling you guys anything you don't know. Uh, at the grocery store, they're pre-ordering and they're picking up. What do you think this whole, like, is that really the most exciting thing we can do in terms of food trends? Like food is so much more exciting than an app. But here, come on, talk to that. I don't Give me a trend that we can put our teeth into. Give me some beef here. The question is like, how come we don't have time for taking a moment and being able to eat the food. Like, what happened? But, but the, you the, don't the want to pick your food? You're looking, at, pick you're looking at fast food, right? All right? Fast food's one level of laziness. You're not even going to cook for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> the, next level, the next level of laziness is the fact that we can't even line up. Can't even line up anymore. Yeah. I want to pick pre- my... I don't want you picking my hand of lettuce for me, Jack. Keep your hands off my lettuce. <laughs> don't touch my lettuce, Jack. And I want to pick my steak, man, because if I don't pick my steak, I might be getting the old wedgie cut. I don't want the wedgie steak. Or the I want expired nice meat. You don't want that. That's beyond me, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 like, what's what you're, you're, everything you've been saying to us is we're time starved. Yeah, we are time starved. I think that's the right term. And the question is, like, 
how come we are so time starved? And uh, do we find fulfilling things when we have more time for ourselves? And the reality is not. It's not like people now they have a, they've saved those seven minutes on the line or they walk from their office to be able to go and pick up, you know, their own food. But there is, there is no quality of life that we get by saving time. So I think that the app it's great. It provides a lot of convenience. Uh, those kind of a commodity, I think it's a natural pattern of a evolution. And I'm not there to dispute it because financially they make sense. Uh, but they, they don't provide us a better quality of life. Saving three minutes, it does. Now, let's talk education. Because back in the day, my friend, when I went to school, I took wood shop, baby. Yeah. I took metal shop. Yeah. You know what the girls did? Home ec. Home ec. Uh, I think my wife skipped that one. I do the cooking so much, I have to go to school to be good enough to cook for my wife. I was, saying, I, was oh, the, yeah. I was the next generation, so we had wood shop, and then we did home act. So you Boy, did both? We, yeah, boys and girls did both, actually. Can you uh, put a button back on my sleeve for me there, Jack, that fell off? They don't, they don't machine make. Can you do that for me? Do you think? Yeah, no problem. You can do Absolutely. that? For sure. You All kidding right. me? I make you gnocchi. All right. <laughs> I, I make you a nice New York. Um, but the, I think the point that Wolfgang's getting to is now in school, do they still have home act? Do they still do wood shop? I don't think they do. No. no. Yeah, they do. I mean, like, I graduated five years ago, but they have, like, a wood shop class. They have, um, like, an auto mechanic class. No, was it was it mandatory. Like, I'm talking about grade seven, grade eight. It was made, correct. Oh, they, no, yeah, this is in high school, like, in a lot. Correct. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wood shops yeah. in high school actually exist. When I went to high school, they didn't. You took wood shop grade seven, eight, nine, I think. And then you had shop. your electives in high school if you wanted to uh, specialize. Specialize, yeah. But, uh, again, cooking is a fundamental requirement. It's like sleeping. I think you have to learn about food one way or another. And good golly, don't learn about food through an Uber driver. No, <laughs> no. I don't get it. Like these kids, I see them in my neighborhood. Man. It's not good for my kids. Like My kids don't know how to cook. My mom taught me some basics when I was a very young boy, i.e. when I was five or six. My kids laughing at me, but it's true. When I was five or six, I remember standing on the countertop and get my oatmeal and open it up, boil some water, and mix the two together and stir it. And that was cooking. I was preparing food or something. I was learning how to make toast. Barbecue when I was 10 and 11. My kids. Are you talking about the oatmeal? Well, if you talk about saving money, what did it cost for that bowl of oatmeal? If you had gone to, you know, McDonald's and get a, I don't know, whatever you get a breakfast there. Six bucks for the breakfast. At least six bucks. Jack does have a a big bag of oatmeal in the office. A big, big bag of oatmeal. And I tell you, that's a compounding move, my good friend. How much that bag of oatmeal cost you? It's five bucks. It's five bucks. And how long? How many bucks? Two weeks. Two weeks. Yeah. Yeah, uh, That's very impressive. But maybe here's an idea, Chef. I'm going to throw at you. Maybe you should come up with some, for time star people, some good, simple, high quality, exciting, on trend recipes uh, for time star people. So start to finish in 30 seconds, as opposed to, gee, I'm going to order the box of food. Now I have to read the instruction. Now I got to cook clean. What's the point? And a paint top. That's not, no, 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 no. So come up, maybe you should come up with a concept, a time efficient. Uh, menu uh, for people on the move. You know, you're so right. A lot of those uh, TV shows that we have nowadays, uh, uh, they show you that you can make a fantastic meal in 15 minutes. But you're so right. People don't have time to prepare a fantastic meal for 15 minutes because it takes a lot of a planning. So when you come to class, as an example, there are recipes already written for you. The products are already ready for you. So all you have to do is your mise en place, mm-hmm. chop, cut, ready. Yeah. But all you can make within the class that you have is maybe like one nutritional meal. So the goal is like how much of a sacrifice that you're willing to do yeah. in order for you to do proper planning. So do you say, I'll lose an hour of sleep in order for me to be able to provide a, a wholesome meal for my family. So instead of getting up at seven o'clock in the morning, maybe I get up at six o'clock in the morning. 
maybe instead of a going you mean to make breakfast to make to make not only breakfast but maybe even like to plan a meal so you do your shopping that's where the app comes convenient you do your shopping you're planning around on your app and then later on when you go home you have your produce ready and then you're able to prepare a meal it more becomes about a sacrifice so it's not necessarily uh the opportunity for you to have just leisurely time for yourself you make a particular sacrifice uh, to provide a holistic meal for yourself and your family well my good friend uh quickest way to a person's heart is through their stomach um you found a place in my heart pal and you know some i wish i could garden again my father used to have the greatest vegetable garden i miss my father so much uh for his white asparagus and all of his love but the love of gardening is a seed once sown that never dies according to uh gertrude jekyll uh, my good friends, it's Hi-Fi Radio. Jack Hartle, always a pleasure to work with you on the show. Brittany did a great job at the big board, our vegan engineer. And uh, Chef Bashir, George Brown College, an absolute treat to go to your class. I look forward to seeing you uh, ooh, later today. I'm going to be late for class. <laughs> no, I can't do that. Uh, wish you all a great weekend. And uh, keep, your, keep your knives sharp and keep your food fresh. I'm Wolfgang Klein. This is Hi-Fi Radio on the Global News Radio Network, 640 in Toronto. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week.